lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to your church friends podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yurlich. It's hot. Yeah. And I know we're recording early September. So early September in California, there was a crazy heat wave. And it's like 87 degrees right now at 11 a.m. We thought we would come in here into the studio earlier to beat the heat, but the heat is just not letting up. It's beating us. It is. It's been awful for over a week, but... Uh, I know for people listening to this episode, which probably comes out uh, later in the year, uh, they're probably like thinking, no, it's not hot. It's probably nice. So future Chris, who's enjoying the cool weather, finally, I envy. Yeah, I don't know how much heat is like gets released from my ears, but trapping it inside of these cans, <laughs> my temperature immediately <laughs> rose. Yeah, the headphones, they don't help either. Yeah, yeah. My internal temperature Just, definitely went yeah. up a few degrees. Yeah, so fun times here in the studio. Um you're not a different person. Your voice is just jacked up. Why don't you talk about that real quick? Yeah, so you're talking about it being hot. I was up on the mountain all weekend. We had a hailstorm up there. Oh, that's you fun. literally yeah. texted me and you was like, man, how are you surviving the heat? And I sent you back a video of a hailstorm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's Camp Agape. Uh, everybody needs to know about Camp Agape. It is a camp um, for kids who have one or both parents incarcerated. So we put it on, and it happens every year during the four-day, three-day weekend. I say four-day because we leave Friday morning, come back Monday, and each day has a different theme to it. So Friday, we get up there, and it's trust. Next day is love. Next day is forgiveness. And then the day that we're leaving is hope and prayer. Hmm. And just really coming in, they get the gospel. They come in, and it's, it's, it's youth camp. So you come in, there's all kinds of fun activities, but... We have a time each morning to go in and do Bible study together and teach them. They do the SOAP method. It's like, cool, what's the scripture? Observation about the scripture. How would you apply that scripture? And then pray about it. And they get that each day that we're up there. And man, it's just a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, my voice. Yeah. Uh, as it's youth camp, I was on the purple team and I was the cabin lead for the purple team. So I was definitely representing. I was yelling all the stuff. And uh, here we are. It's been like four days and I'm just barely, I sounded way worse before. Now I got a little bit of that growl going on. Yeah, now you got the cool like radio Batman voice. Yeah, but before I was like, all right, let's go to the... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should have done it then. I was squeaking, yeah. We should have done it then. We're like, hey, welcome to your church friends. I'm Chris. I'm Murdoch. (laughs) That's really how it was. (laughs) The guy from The Simpsons. Uh, the like young teenager. I'll have to ask uh, my manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just gonna plug it again. Camp Agape. Yeah. They started off in Hawaii, but they've got we've got Camp Agape California now. You can volunteer to be a mentor, which means that you're in the cabin with the kids, um, or you can be a volunteer. And they take volunteers. If you can only make it for the send off and the receiving on the Friday and the Monday, that's cool. If you can go up for the weekend, uh, you can help with the food. You can help with the activities there's all kinds of roles that you know whether you want to be in with the kids and dealing with them or just on the campus helping out uh definitely help and uh if you can't do anything that weekend you can always donate because we put it on free for all of the kids and just we're linked up with a prison fellowship 
and also with Angel Tree. So just really partnering up with those other people that are dealing with those that are in prison and their families. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. So if you do want to help, it'll be the website plus where you can donate for that. So uh, we're picking back up in the Forgotten Books of the Bible series. So we took a short little kind of hiatus, stop, pause on the series and kind of interjected our YouTube series of the James Conviction thing that we did. Gosh, I want to say that was mid-2020, probably right during the shutdown. Yeah, that's what got us going. That is. It's what started the whole thing of us sitting behind here doing this. Um, And uh, so we took that and we thought, hey, the content was good. The audio quality was at the beginning of when we started, so it's not what it is today. Um, but we we decided, hey, it was, it's good stuff. We wanted to put it in there. So so we did. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the Conviction Series. I remember listening through it again to do some edits, which I'm so glad we could do because video, it was like, just put it out there. We can't yeah. edit anything. Uh, but audio, I'm really good at editing. Uh, but listening through the first one, it was really interesting to hear where I was at spiritually, personally, two years two ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, where I even then I thought like, man, I'm riding a pretty good, you know, wave here of of God's kind of been teaching me and I'm learning some stuff, but it it was fun. Yeah, I might actually have to start listening to our podcast. And see <laughs> <laughs> no, when you were saying that we took the hiatus, <laughs> popping in my mind is like, you know, why we took the hiatus, and I could just hear what the world needs now. It's conviction. <laughs> conviction for all of you. Yeah, I, I, I really did like what we did, and then we'll get into uh, Second Peter. Um, but I really like what we did is that we really looked at a book or a letter or a scripture, God's inspired word, and we let it just punch us. And I, I think a lot of times we want to find the hope in scripture, which is yes, but uh, sometimes we find too much hope and not enough conviction, so we're not allowing the word to actually breathe in us the way it should and uh we're kind of just all hope and then when that gets smashed we don't have the conviction to follow up to kind of persevere through it i don't know yeah Uh, for me the hope is in the conviction like if i'm looking at conviction like somebody getting arrested for like whatever mm -hmm. they do yeah my flesh i need someone to come up and convict that man you know what i mean but then how you were saying also the conviction like the what keeps you going through it and persevering if you're looking at either side of that word conviction uh, that that's where there's hope it's just like yeah i can get into scripture and the thing that really keeps tripping me up which is me is going to get arrested yeah and then the the spirit that's in me is going to get the conviction of what's right and to be able to keep going so yeah if it's all just fluffiness it's a that plant withers pretty quick there's no roots to it yeah you don't want fluffy faith Uh -uh, no fluffies no fluffy faith Fluffy face. Say that five times fast. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into Second Peter then. Um, we've got some questions. Like usual, the questions have extended from more than just, I think, when we first started, it was like four to like now we have like 20 to 18 per book. I looked up real quick as like extended as in you put more in no. since the last time I looked at it. <laughs> uh, no, we have uh, when was Second Peter written? And uh, we'll get into why that's a question. Who was Peter in the Gospels? How did Peter go from denying Jesus to leading the church? Uh, What happened on the holy mountain? So we'll leave that kind of vague. And what is the divine nature? Also kind of vague. Uh, And then how does Peter address the day of the Lord um, in his letter here? But that is the questions. Peter is 
Second Peter, not just Peter, but Second Peter is often overlooked by the church today. And uh, I, when I looked into my studies, a lot of people said mainly it's because of his curtness, uh, his lack of a no, uh, notable theme, its difficult style, and then uh, the debates over the reception in church history. And really what the style is just like, it doesn't sound like First Peter mm-hmm. or really any of the other letters in the New Testament. So that's why they debate it. When you're like, all of those things are there, I'm like, oh. So it's kind of like me when I preach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no real theme to it. People are kind of struggling with whether to receive <laughs> Yeah, the curtain is. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't even know if that's him up there saying those things. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of strong similarities with the with the letter of Jude that we talked about when we did go over the, the uh, forgotten book of Jude. Uh, the angels are not spared. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Balaam and his talking donkey. Uh, the emptiness that false teachers will leave you. And we talked about that when we went through the book. So some of that stuff we won't really tackle too much in this episode. If you want to know more about Sodom, the angels not being spared, the flood, Balaam, and his talking donkey, then you could go back and listen to all three of those episodes. We kind of really hammered those out pretty well. Which isn't to say that we don't trust the listener, because I remember saying, hey, the partner book is Second Peter. You should really go yeah. and read it. And now we're making sure that we're really going and reading it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're doing that with any of the other companion books throughout the series. Uh, we did a little bit with uh, Nahum and Haggai. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Cool. We're doing a better job than I thought. Yeah, we are. We're on track. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so the reason why... Uh, that people, this happens is a lot of people say that Second Peter relies on Jude's book, uh, or that Jude relies on Second Peter, or both Jude and Second Peter rely on a common source, or they have the same author. So there's a variety of thoughts. I'm going to just throw in something that came to my mind right now, because me and you were talking for an hour and a bit before we even did this episode. And mm-hmm. when me and you talk, we talk about the same subjects with somewhat of the same viewpoint. Yeah. Man, if Jude and Peter are friends, which I would assume that they probably were, and they had conversations talking about some of this stuff, I would assume that they could write some of the same stuff. Yeah. And they're looking at these yeah. false teachers and like maybe it'd be like you bring it like, man, this is kind of like Balaam. I'm like, dang, it is kind of like Balaam, mm-hmm. huh? I could very much plausibly see that that yeah. would be a reason for why these things are similar. I feel like with a lot of times in scripture, we, we can depersonalize it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but we can take out the people from the actual thing. It's like they don't have the same kinds of things that we go through. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a, and I've heard people say this before that if you're looking at the Bible as a history book or a science book, you're looking at it for the wrong reasons. It's none of those things. It it is compiled scripture of God addressing certain things in a specific theme. Uh, So yeah, if, if Jude and Peter were like chilling together one day and they're like, Oh man, Remember when Balaam's donkey talked? And you're like, oh, yeah, man, that's kind of Balaam's kind of like false teachers that we're dealing with and experiencing right now. Or if they were just having a Bible study and, right. and kicking it together, drinking some cappuccinos. Sorry, the long pause was me trying to figure <laughs> out how possible an ancient cappuccino is. I was like, did they even drink of it? And man, my, you can't throw stuff at me. <laughs> you went too far into the rabbit hole. And real quick, my, my brain goes, it's... Yeah. All right. Bring me back. Where are we going? So uh, the book does touch on some key topics, though. So First uh, Peter or Second Peter from chapter one, you look at this call to a godly, uh, to be godly people who live as if Jesus's return is really going to happen. Uh, there's the warning of the destructive power of false teachers. There's the growing skepticism in the church. 
reminding Christians that someday Christ will return and a description of end time. So there are some key topics that are pretty fundamental throughout most of the letters of uh, in the New Testament. Uh, some have said that Second Peter acts as an actual bridge between the apostolic era and the post-apostolic era. So it's it's kind of uh, what bridges one era to another. And really because, um, well, we'll get into that as we go down when it was written. But uh, most importantly, Second Peter is probably best looked at as a, a farewell speech. And I think it is, uh, it's kind of like Peter's farewell speech to the church. At this point, if it's written later in his life, then this is his kind of like, if, I, if I've got to tell you guys something, this is it. And really, I look at Second Peter 1, 13 through 15. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Um, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So it's almost, here's the important stuff. And I'm just going to get it to you as best as I know how. Yeah, and that kind of, I don't know if it would be considered a genre, but within the Bible, we actually get a lot of parting words and farewells from key people. You know, if you go through the Old Testament, man, you got Joshua, you got Moses, um, you have Jesus especially coming in the New Testament. And that's an interesting thing that I see here as well, is that Jesus very much knew that he was going to the cross. And, you know, he had his words, you get into the whole... um all of it discourse and stuff in John and just what he's what he's putting out there. But you have Peter here who was so close to Jesus. If you look at, I know that when we get to the, the holy mountain later, right? Peter, and as we talk about who Peter is, he was one of the three that was always invited along for special moments. Yeah. And uh, here he is saying that Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me that I'm on the way out. And just the relationship that he kept there just like Jesus when he would go and pray, and he knew that the cup that he had to go and drink. And you got to see that Peter was in that same level, you know? Oh, it's been made clear to me where I'm going, and I have to pass these things on. Yeah, I have to get this information out to you guys. Yeah. Uh, so the breakdown of the Forgotten Book of Second Peter is his greeting is chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Very short and simple. Uh, his call to develop Christian character, that's verses 3 through 21 of chapter 1. The Danger of False Teaching, which is almost all of chapter 2. Uh, and, and again, this is just, Second Peter is a warning against the influence of false teachers who are trying to tempt the faithful, and he spends a significant amount of time highlighting the dangers of these teachers. And at the end, there's even a proverb that says, a dog returns to its vomit, and a soul that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So he brings that up at the end of that section, and then Chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 13, is hope in the Lord's return. And then basically, because he's addressing the scoffers, the people who are saying, hey, Jesus isn't coming back. And then there's the closing of it, where he uh, leaves us with some closing challenges or commands, verses 14 through 18. Um, and that's kind of the breakdown. Yeah, and looking at that breakdown, um, I know that we were saying that a theme in there is like the false teachers, and there's a lot of repetition there. When I went through... What really popped out to me is just the word Lord as a theme. Mm. And from my count, there was eight times that you've got Jesus referenced as Lord. And then you've got an additional five times looking at God the Father as Lord. So even there, kind of the pairing of the two together. Um, 
yeah, just all about Lord and just yeah, I like that. Just just more theme stuff. It's one of the things that you can look at the breakdown and have all that. But sometimes when you look at words and really what comes out and the repetition there, that out of these three chapters, you have what was that thirteen different references to Lord. Yeah, it's really important for I, Peter. I really think too, just highlighting that fact is is Peter's life as we get into it that there is an understanding of who Lord is. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll save that for next episode because uh, that would be a good point to make in that one too. But uh, yeah, question number one: When was Second Peter written? Uh, so this is kind of all over the place depending on who wrote Second Peter. Uh, so the estimating range from mid-1st century to mid-2nd century A.D. So if Peter wrote it, which most people in tradition, church tradition holds to, which I'm going to say, yeah, pretty sure Peter wrote it. I'm going to lean into that. We're looking at the late 60s is the most uh, plausible for that. And really because tradition does hold that Peter was martyred under Nero in Rome in the late 60s. Uh, Clement talks about that in his uh, first Clement 5, 1 through 4. Uh, He says in there, by reason of jealousy and envy, the greatest and the most righteous pillar of the church, uh, pillars of the church were persecuted and contended even unto death. Let us set before us our eyes the good apostles. Here, were, uh, here was Peter who, by reason of unrighteousness, jealousy, endured not one nor two, but many labors, and thus having borne his testimony, went to his appointed place for glory. And then um, Eusebius writes in his... Uh, in one of his books, and it's talking about like um, the apostles being married. So he even says like, okay, so Philip was married and his wife went with him to certain places, but uh, Paul wasn't going to bring his wife. So he mentions that Paul had a wife, Uh, but he talks about Peter and it says, they say accordingly that when the blessed Peter saw his wife led out to die, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home. And called to her very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name and saying, O thou, remember the Lord. Um, such was the marriage of the blessed and their perfect disposition towards those dearest to them. So you're saying that that's when she was going to die? Or when yeah, when she was going to, going to get martyred. Yeah. And quick side note to that, going back to just an apologetic point about the reality of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that one, if the apostles were lying, then when it came down to them getting threatened with death and them getting, you know, a lot of them dying and being killed, one of them would have flipped at least. Yeah. But then I've heard it go an even step further. It's like, man, I would probably die for a lie, but then if I'm seeing my wife get tortured yeah. and killed, like that's a whole nother level. And especially when you see the, the type of character that's revealed from these men through the writings, I don't think that you can be this ethical and moral that we see in the scriptures and then also that evil to watch your wife get oh yeah (laughs) like you know what i mean it just again just an apologetic for the reality of the thing one of the the biggest changes in my christian walk maybe 18 actually 18 to 20 somewhere around that time frame uh one of the big changes for me wasn't really like this encounter with jesus or i guess one of the falling repentant moments where i was like okay I, i come back you know the his kindness leads to repentance i think it was more, I bought a book, it was called The Search for the Twelve Apostles, and this thing is, it's hard to understand, hard to comprehend, but in each of them talked about the martyrs of them, mm-hmm. how they died, when they died, what they experienced when they died, um, and getting to Peter's, where it was that exact thing you brought up, the, his wife, and he's just saying, you're going to be with God today, 
like counted a blessing. This is a good thing. That changed my whole perspective on faith. Yeah. It, it was that right there. It was like you said, I would lie, sure, but I wouldn't lie to the point, and, and at that point, not even being married. Now today, being married, would I lie to the point of risking my wife's life? Heck no. I would flip on a, on the switch. No, 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 hey, it's all a hoax. We dug up the body. It's over here. You could go find it. Just let me and my wife live. Uh, Self-preservation at its finest. At its finest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I understand it from that perspective now. So uh, we, we bring this point up just to say that there is tradition of when he died, so we know when this book was written. I was going to say, even the reality of it is that a lot of people would end up lying for self-preservation. Like, the reality of the gospel for these apostles and, their, and the disciples, like, yeah, none of them were lying on it. Because they knew, hey, we were promised persecution. We were told that they were going to come after us. But the glory that awaits us on the other side and the reality of eternal life. So... Yeah, and Peter, according to tradition, he was crucified upside down, right? That's how his yeah, end of days came about. he requested it, yeah. So, yeah, with this being his, his final letter and him knowing that he was uh, heading to the cross, basically. Mm -hmm. But for reasons that you mentioned earlier, that when they do some textual analysis on the letter and the different things, and it doesn't match up with all of the writings they had from Peter, which, you know, was just the other book of First Peter— <laughs> this book isn't like that book yeah. therefore this one was probably written by someone else and is like I don't know catch me six months from now I'm probably talking different I'll write a different you know even though I'm talking on a different subject their textual analysis goes a bit deeper than that yeah, and it all varies on like okay when was first Peter written and if you're looking at it like this is being the last thing I'm gonna get to out to people mm -hmm. yeah I might be writing that a little different too knowing there's you know feelings and emotions involved in it um but if it wasn't Peter, so if it was someone close to Peter, like a, a disciple, a follower, uh, the suggestion is that it was probably around the range of 80 to 90 AD. I even saw people throwing it out from 100 to 150. Yeah, and with that, it's, it's if it was someone not directly close to Peter. Right, right. Yeah, so if it was like uh, one of Peter's disciples' disciples or something like that, then yeah, it would be around that time frame. Um, that's where they're ranging it if it's that. But there's a lot of stuff that does suggest that Second Peter uh, was written by Peter a lot from the early church fathers. Allusions of Second Peter in a number of the documents written. The Shepherd of Hermes has it. The Epistle of Barnabas. The Martyrdom of Polycarp. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch. Justin Martyr. Irenaeus. Irenaeus. Uh, so many other people have it in there. Um, in the letter of Barnabas, the letter of Barnabas actually uh, cites Second Peter... Three eight, yeah. Do you have that? Yeah, I do. Let's save that because aren't we going to talk about that scripture in a little bit? Yeah, we are. All right, yeah. well, all right. I'll save it for then. Yeah. Well, everyone listening, you're just going to have to keep listening to hear that one. That's a hook for later. <laughs> <laughs> but Origen, uh, he writes in there, and I have a huge section of it. But it's he's he writes uh, about it. But uh, let me find where it's at. It says uh, so. He's talking about Jericho being overthrown with the trumpets and the sound of the priests. Um, in this writing, but he gets down to the bottom and says, even Peter cries out with trumpets in two of his epistles, also James and Jude. So really just this portion of writing is emphasizing that he recognized that Peter wrote both of his letters. You brought it up already that the style difference is what uh, brings it into contention, I guess, yeah. when it was written. Uh, but I think Jerome offers the best solution to this problem, and he believes that both 
letters originated with Peter, but were developed by different aides or different secretaries. Uh, so he writes in his, one of his letters, and it's basically he's answering the question, what is the meaning of 2 Corinthians? And he writes this. Now, uh, St. Paul had a perfect knowledge of the Holy Scripture. He was naturally eloquent, and he possessed the gift of speaking in tongues as he prides himself in the Lord, saying, I praise my God that I speak through the gifts of tongues uh, more than all of you. Nevertheless, he could not speak Greek in a, man, in a manner worthy of the majesty and grandeur of our mysteries. Therefore, Titus served as an, an interpreter, as St. Mark used to serve as St. Peter, with whom he wrote his Gospels. And we see that the two epistles attributed to St. Peter have different styles and turn phrases differently, by which it is discerned that it was sometimes necessary for him to use a different interpreter. So, basically, the idea is that uh, maybe he had one secretary or interpreter for one and one for the other, and that's why there's a difference in styles. Yeah, and using writers like that was completely common back then, and that's where you, it's commonly thought that when you have Paul in his letters, at the what book is it when he says, see with what big letters I'm writing to you in my mm -hmm. own hand, that the rest of it was you know written by one of these aides, and then he's coming in to say, look, I'm actually writing you this part. And even in Philemon, we covered... He writes in there, with my own hands, I write this letter. Right, right, yeah. right, exactly. So it was a very common practice. Uh, another idea is that Peter wrote one and the secretary wrote the other one. So there's that idea. Uh, but if you look at Second Peter as a very late book in the New Testament, it shows the evolution in, uh, in thought and language that's taking place in the early church. And that's why I said earlier that Second Peter kind of serves as an important bridge in text between the thoughts in the world of the uh, apostles to the people after that. And then what's also interesting is that both First Peter and Second Peter, the greeting is identical. So again, not to say that someone ripped off that and like, hey, maybe, maybe to make it seem more like Peter, I'll just have the same uh, greeting. But really, our point being that we think it's written around the late 60s. Yeah. And uh, it was him right was before him he died. Right before he died. So that's how we're going to look at it. If you have any debate or thoughts against that, please feel free to share it with us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. And Chris will read that email. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, so question number two. <laughs> Probably. No, we do. We look at everything that comes in. Uh, question two. Who was Peter in the Gospels? Well, he was a fisherman. He was. Yeah, he started off as a fisherman, and uh, he tried to end off as a fisherman. But in both situations, when he's out there fishing... Uh, Jesus came and got him, and he turned him from a fisherman into a fisher of men. Ah, I like the wordplay Jesus did there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was him. That wasn't my genius coming yeah. through. <laughs> <laughs> I, totally just off-topic related. My brain thought, I wonder if Jesus said that, and I was like, I'm clever right now. This is clever. Because I know me, if I did that, I'd be like, clever, smart. That's the humanity of Jesus yeah. showing through, right? Yeah. Which... That's, I don't know if you watched The Chosen, but we just recently finished season two with the young adults who we watched through, and they do a really good job of showing the human side of Jesus. Like throughout a lot of the second um, season, he's preparing for the Sermon on the Mount. So you see him going out and kind of practicing and talking to himself, and he's talking with one of the disciples about like, all right, what do you think the wording could be on this? And he takes Matthew along, and he's like, all right, I'm going to do the practice run. You tell me like what I need to work on. And it's just interesting because you think, Huh, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. That's just all right off mm -hmm. the top. But he was a man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, fisherman. Uh, he had business partners, the Zebedee boys, uh, James and John. 
His brother was Andrew. His father's name was John. He grew up in Bethsaida. And like you said, his uh, uh, fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, that, again, will come back into play later in his life because Galileans had an accent. There was a noticeable difference in how they sounded compared to other people around them. Yeah. If you want an idea, it would probably be like someone from Texas and California. You could hear the difference in because how they sound. Californians don't have an accent. It's everyone else. That <laughs> yeah, everyone else in the world sounds funny. He's married because we see that Jesus uh, heals his mother-in-law, which he describes as a miracle. Wow, really? <laughs> Just going to slide yeah, that one in there? <laughs> yeah, I'll do the mother-in-law joke. Yeah. I actually love my mother-in-law. She's amazing, so I have no problems with that. Uh, in the list of the first uh, of the disciples, he's always the first of the 12. Um, he was there with James and John uh, and the raising of Jarius' daughter. Peter walks on water, which is an amazing story. Uh, this is kind of where really the story that gets painted in the gospel. So as we run through this, we're going to look at kind of his character and really the the, the main thing of what Peter is is a guy who's kind of always putting his foot in his mouth or saying certain things. But I always feel like these, these, these moments where he puts his foot in his mouth leads to a greater test of faith. Mm-hmm. So like this one, it's like Jesus is walking on the water towards them. They think it's a ghost. He says, it's me. And then... He says, if it really is you, Lord, invite me to come out on the water. And Jesus is like, bring it. Yeah. And he starts walking on the water. Eventually the waves scare him. He starts sinking. Jesus pulls him up. Gives him the famous line, uh, you have little faith. But he walks back on the water with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of the other 12 do it. Yeah, the boldness to be able to step out, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the quote? Uh, You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's that's him. Uh, When many of the disciples turn away from Jesus... And you can look at this in in John chapter 6. Jesus kind of starts giving this harder teaching or just more difficult teaching where he's like, hey, you got to drink my blood. You've got to eat my flesh. Eat my flesh. And people are like, whoa, this is, this is going a little too extreme. Um, Peter responds to Jesus saying, uh, where will we go? Uh, with you, uh, you have the words of eternal life, and we believe and know that you are God. And then this even leads to the greater moment of Peter's life where he makes the confession. Jesus is like, hey, who do the people say I am? And then some people are like Elijah or one of the other prophets or maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead. Um, and then he, Jesus straight up asks them, who do you say I am? And Peter says, uh, you are the Messiah. So this leads even to that greater moment that then turns into a few moments later of Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen. And then Peter rebukes him and then Jesus gives him another or a, a new nickname uh, he gives him the nickname Satan. I don't know if that was a nickname. <laughs> he was just clarifying what was going on at that moment. Maybe. But he I, gives it I to think him. a nickname you get called it more than once. So what's the nickname he does give him? Well, you got Simon Peter, right? He's often referenced as Simon, but then we have Simon Peter. And yeah, it's in that same little section there that um, when Simon Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, of son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And looking there, if you're Catholic, you find out Peter's the first pope, and you're, you're good to go at that point. But when you're looking at you are Peter, in the Greek there you have Petros, and then on this rock I will build my church, and rock is Petra. 
So if you look at Petros, it's more like a little pebble type thing. So he's saying like, yeah, you're the pebble, but this truth of me being uh, the Messiah, like that's the rock that I'm, I'm building off of. Can I go a little bit further into that as well? Yeah, yeah. Taking, this, taking the subject a little bit further off, but when you look at where they are in the area of Caesarea Philippi, because what I just explained was the pretty common things that most people might be familiar with. Like, yeah, the truth of this, that's the rock that you're getting built. But when you're talking about on this rock, where they were in Caesarea Philippi, if you see the mountain that they were probably camped out near, that was considered the gates of hell. Like, that's where all the demons came oh, from. Oh, yeah. And when you have this, basically, Jesus son of god messiah coming and he's with his people and this declaration that he is the son of god happening at that place he's saying that's right i'm gonna build my church i'm building my kingdom off of that and these gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it so all this place where all the demons are coming from all the evil yeah that's not going to be able to withstand what my church is going to do and i just think that that's so awesome again when you look at bring the geography into it and you see what's going on says there's several layers there right where accessory of philippi Go back and put it on a map. Well, what was going on in Caesarea Philippi culturally at that point? Oh, they believe that's where all the demons came from, right? And it's like, oh, man, the meaning of Jesus saying this right here, right then. Uh, it's actually really awesome because it's not just some conceptual like, yeah, go kick down the gates of hell. It's like, no, no, no. In America, we might, quote unquote, spiritualize it a bit. But for, for these guys, it's like, no, like we're casting demons out of people. And we think that that's where they're coming from. Yeah, to, again, personalize it, like really look at it for these actual people experience something in that actual moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I'm glad you went down there. Um, Peter does ask the important question. I think the question that a lot of us ask, how many times do I forgive someone? And that's where Jesus says 70 times 7, uh, basically meaning just keep forgiving. Yeah, but we talked about this the other day, is that there's uh, two cross-references for that right? Mm -hmm. Is it Matthew and Luke? Mm -hmm. And in Matthew, you just get 70 times 7. But in Luke, you get, for as often as that person comes in repentance, you forgive them. Right. So go back to listen to the Philemon episode, because we do touch on that, the pardoning mm -hmm. of somebody. So not enough time in this episode to really go back into it again. So go back and listen to that. Yeah. Which not to say that one over the other, because you also get differences in math Matthew and Luke. Like for the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor or blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Yeah. If you make it all about the poor in spirit, then you're missing out on those. Those that are actually... <laughs> uh, so then we get into uh, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus at the Transfiguration. So we're going to take a quick pause on question two to answer question four, what happened on the holy mountain? Uh, so we're taking this from Second Peter verses uh, 16 through 18 of chapter 1, where he says, For we did not cleverly devise stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from the heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So my translation has sacred mountain, the NIV, but you read from the Berean Study Bible that says holy mountain, so I want to keep it that way for the question. So what he's talking about is the um, what we would call the Mount of Transfiguration, the story of transfiguration that happens in three of the Gospels. It happens in Matthew chapter 17, Mark uh, 9, nine. Yep. 
and then Luke chapter nine. And I think you wanted to read some of it from the Luke perspective. Yeah, the Luke perspective. So if you jump right into the section at 28 of Luke 9, 28, it says about eight days after Jesus had said these things, and it starts talking about what we'll talk about here, the Mount Transfiguration. But the way that it phrases that after he said these things, so it's like, it's not just eight days later, it's really linking it to the things that he had said. It's also linking it to, in all three of the gospel accounts, there's stuff that happens before this mm-hmm. that's almost parallel between them, which uh, you kind of don't see a lot of, but it's uh, Peter's confession, mm-hmm. like you were just talking about, uh, Jesus' request not to divulge his uh, messianic identity, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus' prediction of his suffering, death, and resurrection, the warning to those who are ashamed of Jesus and his word, and then right. we get into this. Yeah, so really that last part that you were talking about, uh, ashamed of him, if we jump up to Matthew nine twenty three. Says Jesus said to all of them, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then goes on to say, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truthfully, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. They're like, okay, you're saying I have to deny myself, pick up my cross, and they know what picking up the cross meant. They've mm-hmm. seen those horrible deaths, right? And he's talking about whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it, but you have to lose your life for his sake. And going back to we've already touched on, <laughs> these are the farewell words. He yeah. was going to the cross. He's definitely losing his life. But then there's all this language about, if you're ashamed of me, then I'd be ashamed when I come in the glory and in the glory of the Father. And if I'm sitting there, I'm just like, I don't really know quite what that means. I do. You are saying that it comes after the proclamation of him being the Messiah. So I was like, cool, you're the king. You're going to set this whole thing up. But then you also just said that you're going to die. So like, I don't get what's going on here. So that really is the setup for going into verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took with him Peter, John, and James. Again, these three just get to be part of so many cool stuff. They went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became radiantly white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with Jesus. They appeared in glory and spoke about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You want me to keep reading? Or? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I, I want to touch on what you just said before you got into reading that, but okay. finish first. All right. Meanwhile, Peter and his companions were overcome by sleep, but when they awoke, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, only Jesus was present with them. The disciples kept this to themselves, and in those days they did not tell anyone what they had seen. So I, I like that we went backwards for a little bit because it almost seems like there's a purpose for those events being mm-hmm. ahead of this one. Mm-hmm. Like each writer specifically has something in mind of putting all those events. The Who is Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. And back in those times, they knew the Messiah was coming. Yep. But their idea of a Messiah was a 
triumphant king riding in on a horse declaring battle against Rome. It's going to be King David again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And what Jesus is trying to get through and hammer through them is that, no, this is the suffering servant, Messiah. This is the the Messiah that's going to come, die on the cross, and take away, you know, all of our sins and stuff. And and so now the disciples are asked to follow him, listen to him, despite their uh, deepest Jewish beliefs that the Messiah is to be crowned in Jerusalem and not crucified outside its walls. Mm -hmm. So... I really like that, you know, going backwards a little bit when you're reading the scripture does help with going forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I had was uh, the word transfiguration. It appears two times in the New Testament as well, but it's all in relation uh, to the development of Christian character. Uh, And it talks about like the renewal of our mind in conformity to uh, what's going on. So uh, Paul has it in Romans 12. Pretty famous verse here, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And then again, he says it in 2 Corinthians, uh, and we all who with unveiled faces uh, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image with ever increasing glory when he comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I just want to throw that out there understanding that this transfiguration, this word transform, it has a deep-rooted meaning in also what we think. Mm-hmm. And if going up there to this mountain and they're thinking, boom, Jesus just shines and transfigures, uh, they're like, oh, there he is. There's our David coming into battle. It's going to rain. Uh, but what really is transfiguring here is their thought processes of, okay, this is a different Messiah than I thought. Right, and getting... um into the transfiguration and of the thought processes even we're talking about who is peter yeah and peter was there for that peter was there for walking on the water peter was that like you know all of these things are shaping who is peter i think that's just important to point that out that as we're looking at who is this man that wrote this letter of second peter as we call it um it's this man who got to see along with james and john Jesus in his glory, mm-hmm. as well as Moses and Elijah. And I just like that it says he didn't know what he was saying. Because, yeah, if you see Jesus just glowing white <laughs> and just radiant with glory, and you see two other guys, how are you going to know that it's Moses and Elijah? Mm-hmm. For me, I look at that as like, yeah, the Spirit gave him like utterance to be able to say the truth without even him knowing what it was. That's how I look at that i found it interesting that luke is the only gospel account with the transfiguration that says he didn't know what he was saying after that Mm -hmm. so like yeah he does kind of get like a bad rap about it you know like i don't get why he gets all right three people show up you know one of them who are the other two you're gonna call them by name right like if you called them by name would you really know what you were saying i don't know yeah he gets the bad rap but it's like some have argued uh, that he did it in knowing what the culture and the laws were. So there's the thought that the tents are intended to express an uh, an honorary gesture, which symbolizes union of heaven and earth. Uh, so we look at like the tent of meeting in the Old Testament mm-hmm. where God interacted with Moses a lot. So when they were wandering, if something big happened, it was like, go to the tent of meeting and there I will address the issue. So all the rest of the Israelites would come to the tent of meeting where Moses was getting instruction from God. Uh, we see that in Exodus actually 3, 7, 33, verse 7 through 11. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord 
would go to the tent meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, uh, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When people saw the pillar of cloud standing outside at the entrance of the tent meeting, they stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp uh, by his young aide, Joshua, the son of, uh, son of Nun. So the symbolic significance of the mountain and the location uh, of this is like almost like it's a divine uh, encounter or connector, uh, so to speak, between heaven and earth. So the tent of meeting is that. It's like this connection, almost uh, for pop cultural reference and understanding, like a stargate, if you will. Yeah. So you have something like that happening on the mountaintop, which mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure we've referenced it before, but you have the mountain and the garden or the garden mountain being where God holds counsel uh, with even the other gods, with the other divine beings, but that that's where God seems to touch down is on these mountaintops and you have it bringing up Moses again when he went up to get the tablets and, you know, any of these places you have mm -hmm. God touching down on these mountaintops. Normally an altar is built or they're wanting to build up these tabernacles here. Uh, but you brought up that thing of um, showing, did you say reverence or honor? Or yeah, something like an honorary that? gesture. Yeah, um, I even think of that with Abraham when God came down and he had the angels with him. And Abraham's like, wait, 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 wait let me go get some food for you, right? It's yeah. just hospitality and honoring somebody that comes with just so huge in that culture that is like, please let me do that. Like, it's the thing that I can do for you. Mm -hmm. And we kind of miss that, especially in our well why do i need to do that i'll you pay for your own food like i don't yeah. like you know we, we don't really hospitality have it yeah hospitality is, yeah. is lost a lot in our culture to where it was like shameful then if you didn't mm -hmm. yeah I, so. I heard someone say uh like when they talk about the difference between peter and paul in a sense it was that uh all everybody growing up knows the scripture like that's ingrained to a jewish boy mm-hmm and, and child is here's the scripture you have to memorize it you have to learn it it has to be a part of your life and culture um but uh if you don't become a pharisee you become a fisherman basically like if you didn't extend beyond the furthering of it okay you went into a trade so like where we look at sometimes like oh peter was just a and i hate to say it like a dumb fisherman uh, the reality is, is he wasn't. He did know his scripture. Right, he right. didn't know these things. That's why he could make the bold prediction, you are the Messiah. It, it didn't just come from like really seeing what Jesus was doing. It came from seeing what Jesus was doing and correlating it back to what he knew of the scripture of who the Messiah was going to be. Right, and God giving understanding to those scriptures. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. when he gets to this moment of the tent meeting, he's like, oh, the, the or the, the mountain is like, hey, the tent, like, we understand there's a divine connection going on here between heaven and earth. You've got Moses and Elijah down here chilling with you, and you're doing something different. Should we build a tent? Should we kind of recapture this moment again where there's the divine connection between heaven and earth? One of the other thoughts that I thought was interesting with this passage, and then, and then we'll move a little bit on with things, is that uh, there's another thought that Jesus himself has now become the tent of meeting in a sense. So again, talking about the divine connection between heaven and earth, so when we see in Exodus that a, a cloud covered the tent and the glory of God settled in it. So when the tent of meeting was up, we, what we just read, it says that. But there's also uh, when Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. 
that's in Exodus 24. But the idea is that, you know, the glory came over it and settled on it. Um, and then when they finished building the, ten, uh, the temple um, in First Kings, it says that the cloud filled the temple and the glory of the Lord filled it. But when they built the second temple, we never get that. Mm-hmm. We never get that the glory comes over at the cloud. There's none of that. Uh, so that's kind of almost what created the Pharisees in a sense is that they were like, hey, we got to get stricter with what we're doing so that the glory could come back. We want God's glory with us again. But now we see this kind of connection that Jesus goes up to the mountain, uh, the cloud comes over up, and the glory of God is filled almost in a sense that Jesus is the new tent. He's the new temple. He's the connection between heaven and earth and our ability to enter the Holy of Holies and our ability to communicate with God. Yeah, you said some stuff, and it's like, I want to stay on track with Peter, but I'm just going to ramble, and then we'll we'll rein it in because I want to stay on track with Peter if I don't say it out loud. So you've got, it's crazy to me, David wants to build the temple. Mm -hmm. God's like, I don't need the temple. But David's like, I built this big house for me. And then God's like, well, you can't build me the temple because you're a man of war. There's too much stuff going on, but like, I'll allow your son to do it. So then Solomon builds the temple. And if you actually look at the temple that he built and how it got all structured and stuff, it somewhat resembled how pagans were building their temples. But that's another conversation as well. But yeah, huge sacrifice, all this stuff. Glory comes down into the temple. So you go from God like, I don't really need a temple to, okay, I'll come and I'll dwell within this place. And then that temple gets destroyed. And then when it comes to having another temple, as we went through with those good Old Testament prophets, it was like, you have to rebuild the temple. And it was from a prophet and they rebuild the temple, but the glory doesn't come down into that one. And just as you were saying it right now, I don't know if we have another recording since that temple was built of the glory of God coming down like that, that this is the first time that it touched down you know what i mean yeah so yeah i can get that when you're drawing the correlation of the glory coming down and jesus being the temple but then you take it a step further that when jesus says it's good for me to go Mm -hmm. because the promise is coming and then you have scripture talking about our bodies being the temple of the holy spirit so you just see that god saying i don't really want to dwell in this place okay I'll, i'll dwell and i'll be centralized but now we've gotten to the place that for every believer becoming the temple of the spirit that the spirit coming down and dwelling in that same like manner. And now that I got all that out back to Peter. Yeah. <laughs> but now you made me think of something else. Uh, maybe we'll get, this will be a two parter and we'll get back to Peter later. Uh, no, we'll do it. Um, when you we, talked about, we already did that with Jude. <laughs> yeah, the reason of this one, we can make it shorter. is because it's so similar. No, I think even though uh, we said we wouldn't, I think this is a good spot to cut this episode. So uh, let's cut this episode and then finish the rest of all the other questions that we have for the second one. Sound good? Yeah, I'm done for that. Makes sense to me. Yeah. All right. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurlu. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amen.